You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope we've reached the bye weeks. That's right. Some teams won't be playing this week. It seems a little bit early for that, but here we are. Uh, We've got a lot to get to today. We've got a couple of uh, player interviews. We'll talk about some teams that that we think are either in or out of the playoff picture, just because we're five weeks in, and as well as the pick segment. Right off the top, the biggest story right now that's dominating the sports world is this whole thing with John Gruden. I don't know. I've got a few different takes about it. He's out as coach of the Raiders. I don't know that there was any way he was going to stay after these emails were either leaked or given to the press or how how that all worked out. And we talked about him earlier in the year being on the hot seat just from a performance standpoint. But now he's out because of just, you know, some very uh, ignorant statements that he made via email and just maybe some personal feelings that he has. But I know, Alex, this was something that uh, that hit you pretty good. Yeah, just something I didn't expect because, I mean, you see somebody on on TV, he's been a coach for a while. We don't know these people, Lou. We don't know them personally. I think the fact that he coached the team last weekend was a problem for the NFL, and I think they pressured the owner into making this move, and it was either quit or you're fired. I'm not going to give him any benefit of the doubt here or give him any credit for anything that he's done. He wasn't going to leave until, you know, something really forced him and his apology and the way he was explaining it was it was all you know it was just it just all felt so entitled the fact that this the only reason this comes out is because it's you know an investigation into the Washington football team and there's 650,000 emails you know I hate to sound cynical but the fact that it calls out one DeMorris Smith which I'm sure the NFL is very happy with it being in his position and two the commissioner that he called a anti-gay slur, we'll put it. I think the NFL was just like, no, that's it. This guy's got to go. And it's almost like he's not a scapegoat, but they're really using him as kind of, okay, we did this investigation. Believe you me, Bruce Allen has got to have some culpability here. He doesn't work for the Washington football team anymore. But if you're getting emails like this, I'm assuming you're sending similar emails back You're the highest level other than an owner as an executive in the NFL. And somebody, regardless of whether he was employed by a team or not, he was doing Monday Night Football, and he's very comfortably sending these things out to an executive. It just speaks to the sense that this is cronyism. And this is why there's always talk about diversity and getting more diversity in the NFL. So he's kind of a fall guy in one shape. You know, I don't want to give him any credit, but certainly I think there's a much bigger issue here. And I think we're going to start to see more and more come out because you can't just bury 650,000 emails and say, okay, we're good here. Dan Snyder, you pay a $10 million fine. And now your wife, quote unquote, runs the team. No, please. I mean, the NFL can't have it both ways. They can't force... Davis to make this move pretty much because I don't I really don't think Gruden had it just magnanimously said I'll step away I think he was forced just for them to say that this is it this is going to go away I don't believe that in any stretch I'm getting excited about this because you know imagine if you're Carl Nassib right at first you're thinking oh this is my coach everything else he comes out as gay. And then this other stuff surfaces where you know the true feelings of the guy that you're playing for. It had to make a difference in their performance last week. I mean, it was they were f- visibly flat. Everybody was, and this move had to be made. And I know this is a little bit of a rant, but uh, I think there's a lot more coming. I, I truly believe But why that. is John Gruden getting punished for this? And then Daniel Snyder is not. 
Right. He also should be gone. I mean, he should sell the team. He has been running a toxic culture with Washington for the longest time. So one guy is getting hit for this, and then another guy is more entitled and more empowered because he's the owner. Right. They can't have it both ways because the owner gets the benefit of the doubt in which there's no way he deserves it. And here you have a guy that wasn't even coaching at the time. And I'm not saying that it excuses his behavior, but again, you can't have it both ways. We can't use John Gruden to make sure that Demora Smith and Roger Goodell feel better about this situation and then say, well, that's it. You know, we're going to use him as a fall guy. You know, we'll protect the owner. The white owner, by the way. This is the pervasive thing, and this is the elephant in the room that I'm sure the NFL doesn't want to come out. But again, I really believe this is the tip of the iceberg. Somebody, attorneys, whether it's the NFLPA or or whoever is going to raise this case, they are going to want to demand access to those emails and see who all these people are and try to make things right because you can't just you know if you're the nfl is put out slogans give money to certain uh charities or certain groups that are helping the lgbtq community and you know black lives matter and everything else but then behind closed doors well this is the way our our club really works our our inner circle of owners this is kind of why we don't have diversity you can't have it both ways so there's going to be more to come and you know a lot of people are going to be surprised i believe all right gruden is done as a head coach in the nfl do you think he'll return to tv no. eventually who could possibly hire him with it? I mean, maybe in a few years, you know, because again, some, it seems like, you know, Americans are very forgiving and, you know, some things get swept under the rug, but he's just a toxic guy right now. Hell, the Tampa Bay Bucks removed him from their ring of honor. They just put him in, which, you know, again, was a PR move in my, in my estimation. But, you know, hopefully they did it for the right reasons and they feel strongly about it. Bruce Arians has been at the top of, you know, giving women and minorities, other minority groups, uh, opportunities to coach. So you hope that's an organizational thing. But as far as TV, yeah, he's great at it. But how do you bring him in? I mean, what what would the network say? I mean, how could you? No, I mean, it's going to be a while. He's going to just have to go sit on his money. I'm sure he's going to get a settlement. From the Raiders, it's not going to be the full 10 minutes, but he still made plenty of money. I mean, he'll be fine. I don't know. He may resurface, but it's going to be a while. Joining us next is one of the top tight end prospects playing college football right now from Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers, six foot four, two forty, number four, Isaiah Likely. Isaiah, how are you today, man? Doing real good. Thank you for having me here. We appreciate you being on. Let's start with the last game, Isaiah. Obviously, Arkansas State, over 200 receiving yards, four touchdowns. I would assume that was your career day, your your best game. You know, Usually, basketball players say they're in a zone. Were you in a zone that game? Uh, you know, it was a really a surreal game. I mean, everything was clicking on offense uh, for the most part with me, um, just making plays when plays were given. Uh, and just having the quarterback like 10 in the offensive line that gave him time to be able to find me in uh, windows and let me do the rest of the work was just a unreal feeling. Well, let's continue with that game. You had a 99-yard touchdown against Arkansas State. What was that play call, and were you surprised that you were that wide open? Uh, I can't really give you all the play call, just in case in the near future, but just having you know offensive coordinators like uh, Willie Korn and uh, Isaac Newland just – you know, understanding that uh, defenses react off of them, dial up uh, ways to get me the ball, ways to put the offense in the best situation to be able to score, and just, you know, breaking a record, I'm pretty sure, of a 99-yard touchdown pass. Just running, basically not getting caught was the mantra. Were you worried that the defender was going to catch you from behind? Obviously, I'm sure you trust your <laughs> speed, but did you have any worry? Once I caught it, I, I kind of glanced back, seeing how far he was, but once I seen him, about five to seven yards, I just knew he wasn't going to catch me. When was the moment playing football as a kid when you thought, oh, yeah, this is for me? Uh, I'd probably say sophomore year of high school, just for the simple fact that like I was a basketball player and football player growing up. 
But uh, going into high school, I probably leaned a little more on the basketball uh, side of things. And then sophomore year, just, you know, understanding football on another level, the competitive nature, me always just want to play in the physical side of it. Just really understanding, like, yeah, I could probably make this, you know, a habit and really a future out of this. So really, not until high school. Who really influenced you as far as football is concerned? Was it family member, coach, you know, just uh, who influenced you the most? I'd probably say family for the simple fact that, like, in my family, if you're not playing football, you're playing basketball. If you're not playing either one, you're at least trying baseball. So, like, you know, sports is always a big thing in my family. So you, you picked up a ball at a young age. And I just happen to uh, really love both of them for the simple aspect of just being, I guess, good at it. Per se. All right. Well, most schools, you know, were recruiting you to play wide receiver. That's what you played in high school, from what I understand. But Coastal Carolina saw you as a tight end. They really hadn't utilized the tight end before you got there. So what made you take that leap and, and trust this staff to say, this is where I want to spend my next four years? Uh, really just how they explained uh, the tight end hybrid to me on my recruitment visit. Uh, just uh, Nick Jones and uh, Willie Korn understanding that like it was going to be a big transition for me mentally and physically from moving from a uh, wide receiver to tight end and putting on the weight to be able to do so. So them under, uh, understanding really like what kind of competitor they were getting and uh, understanding situations they could put me in from going in the slot to going out wide and really just doing stuff from uh, in line. Just the way the game is played anymore in the tight end position, you see so many basketball players transitioning to that position. What would you say in your basketball background has helped you the most? I'd say for the most part, contested catches, only for a simple fact, like basically it's just going for a rebound per se when you see a jump ball and basically just trying to out-jump your opponent. The difference is in football, you don't got to dribble, you don't got to worry about none of that, so you can just run with the ball after you're from the Northeast. You went to high school in Massachusetts. I'm assuming you grew up there. What's it like playing in the South? You know, going to school and playing in the South. What's it been like personally and culturally for you? Freshman year was pretty hard. Just transitioning, being that far from home. Uh, first time I've ever done it in a while. And understanding that, like, I was leaving a lot of my family members behind. For simple fact, that, like, they just wanted me to pursue my career and better my, as a man. Just leaning on a lot of older guys while I was here, freshman year, uh, CJ Brewer, Shadell Bell, a lot of them, just having me, help me go into class, help me be in tune with the football plays, still having to socialize, and then really expand my horizon, open my arms up to new people, sophomore year, and uh, just, you know, loving the scenery uh, of the beach, you know, the school, uh, the surroundings of Conway, just, you know, where you actually want to, like, live per se, out of football. And, like, I could say that, like, me being here now, taking nothing for granted, like, this is probably where I send my, my kids in the near future. Well, it is a beautiful campus, and I don't know that you can beat being at the beach, I guess. You are a big play waiting to happen. I mean, over the last two years, I think you've averaged at least 20 yards per catch. I've seen a highlight reel of hurtling tacklers, making those contested catches that you talked about. How would you describe what you're able to do at such a high level? Uh, really just spending hours in the film room and in the off season, just getting my body right. I mean, I, I pride myself on this year, uh, really trying to take my game to a whole nother level, uh, being a big play when it happened, understanding defenses, fronts, coverages, blitzes, all before it happens, before it snap, and be able to attack uh, their disadvantages. So I feel like going in week after week, understanding the teams we're playing on a whole nother level from last year helps me be able to have those big type of plays in those moments when we uh, actually need them. Isaiah, I've been really impressed by your blocking this year. I think you're proving this year that you're not just a, a receiving tight end. Tell us about that part of your game and how you've improved there. You know, just having uh, one-on-one meetings with coaches, uh, with my position coach, Coach Dixon, and then having a one-on-one with uh, Coach Shadwell, uh, we really preach to each other that the catching ability comes natural to me. So a lot of my focus really for the offseason and going in week after week, day after day, practice after practice was in-line blocking and uh, blocking on the perimeter. And that's just like little things, little fundamentals that I can practice in my off time that I didn't always have to wait to get on the field to actually do it. And just hearing that and understanding and taking that to a whole nother level 
helps me uh, really be a knack, not only in the receiving game, in the running game, helping my running backs break 10 yards to 50 to the house. And like I said in all my interviews, like when they score, I feel like I scored. Last year, this team caught a lot of people by surprise in the Sun Belt. Nobody expected anything from you except the people in that locker room. How is this team different from last year's group? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily different from the mindset-wise. The only thing that I'd say different locker room is the players that are in there. And that's only for the simple fact you gain freshmen and you keep super seniors. But uh, having the same mantra, same pride, the will, and understanding that the culture is what the culture is. Like, we, we preach, we have fun, and we do it all by loving each other and keeping the chemistry within us. And I feel like that's really why you win games, by understanding and being behind your brothers. You and Grayson McCall have a very good connection on the field. What makes your quarterback special? I'd say trusting him. Grayson's going to put you in the best situation, game in and game out, by just doing what Grayson does. And that's why I say he's the best quarterback in college football. And it's because Grayson loves and plays with a competitive edge that's unmatched, game in and game out. And Grayson, I feel like, would take a bullet from me at any given moment in the game. What's your favorite thing to do on the field? Really just having fun playing the game because I feel like at a young age, that's all you do. You don't really know coverages. You don't really know defensive schemes. At a young age, you're really just playing the game because you love it. So just never losing sight of why I play the game is really what I have fun on most on the field is having fun. Okay, and why you play the game? Is it having fun or why do you play the game? I play the game because I love it. There's no if ands, or buts about it. I mean, if I didn't love football I wouldn't be playing at one of the highest levels possible I feel like that's really the reason I love it football gives me a feeling a lot of things in this world can't and I feel like that's really the reason I play well it certainly looks like it when you do play that you're that you're having a good time (laughs) how about off the field uh really just spend time with my friends uh understanding like no moments too big so taking everything I can my last you know senior year at Coastal uh, with my friends and really family. Without them, I don't know where I'd be for that. All right, speaking of your family, this past week, Alex asked you about that game against Arkansas State. As many people know on ESPN, Scott Van Pelt has a segment called The Best Thing I Saw Today, and that was you for that day. So <laughs> when your family sees stuff like that or hears that you're mentioned as a top prospect, what type of emotions do you think they're feeling, and what type of emotions are you feeling? I mean, I called uh, my mother, my grandma, my godfather, my sister after the game, and my mom screamed in the phone because, you know, just seeing her baby on the screen doing what he loves with a smile on his face, it always warms her heart. Uh, my sister, you know, always congratulates me. That's my younger me. That's why I do what I do. That's my why, for real. My godfather always uh, congratulates me, uh, really more of a critique out of the aspect and tells me little things that he's seen what we could work on just to improve but he always gives me thanks and then my grandma cried for the simple fact that she wasn't going to get the uh, ESPNU is what it was on but uh, something told her to get it just because and her just seeing that night told me she was running across the living room which is you know kind of made me laugh a little bit trying to picture it but it just put a warm heart a uh, warm feeling in my heart maybe a little touchdown dance too <laughs> Maybe you get your athleticism from your grandma. That's probably where I got my hurdling from. Probably where I got my hurdling from. What are your team and individual goals that you set for yourself before this season? Team goals really is pretty simple. Uh, win out, make the Sun Belt Championship game, and try to get a New Year's Six game. And then personal goals really is just keep doing what I'm doing, be a vocal leader for the team. Uh, make plays when plays are given, and just you know, leave a legacy here for the younger guys. You sound like a pretty unselfish player, Isaiah, but when I say NFL, where do your thoughts go? Really just a blessing to be in the situation I'm put in now, just hearing all the NFL talk, seeing the scouts here. Most days, you know, just making a surreal moment feel like reality coming up. Does it make it tough to just do your job every day, just go through like they're not there, like they're not paying attention? I mean, you know, at first when you see people come on the field with uh, NFL logos, you're obviously going to, you know, it's going to catch your eye a little bit. 
like understanding that they're here off of the fact that like what you do on the field uh, Monday through Saturday. So just keeping that in mind and staying true to yourself really just helps me stay in line with the scheme, not trying to do too much and always just understanding where I come from. Well, this is the time of the interview. We normally let you introduce your uh, social media handles and so forth, but I do have to ask one more question before we do that. <laughs> is your Twitter handle at gorilla number 4 How'd you come up with that? And there's got to be a story there. Uh, you know, just people said lions, king of the jungle, lion mentality, and I just want, you know, just me being myself, being different. I always felt like I've always wanted to top spot and everybody wants to be a lion. Nobody ever talked about a gorilla. So I felt like me challenging the king of the jungle every time, us being the underdogs, us being who we are, me being, you know, underdog myself in the uh, aspect of coming into the season as a tight end, just putting, you know, something different and just letting it run, run. And I felt like gorilla was the perfect way to call myself. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Isaiah, for uh, taking the time, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. We look forward to seeing the NFL. Thank you, my man. Appreciate uh, having me. So, next we have in or out, contender, pretender, buy or sell. We'll steal every show's name for this, but uh, we're going with in or out. AFC teams, NFC teams, we're five games in. Are they contenders? Are they pretenders? In the playoffs or out of the playoffs? Alex, let's go to the AFC first. New England. Yeah, they're out. Look, Mac is getting better. The defense is good. But I don't trust their playmakers on the outside. I don't think Belichick is going to be able to, to save this season. They barely won against the Texans. 25-22. to 22. It was a nice comeback, but... With all due respect, the Texans are one of the worst teams in the NFL. So I'm out on the Patriots. How about you? Well, I, I have them in the playoffs during our prediction episode before the season. Yeah, I'm kind of wavering, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with them. Not that they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they'll, they're certainly going to contend. Same thing with the Bengals. I think they're getting better. Not quite the same because I didn't have them picked. Uh, it's a very difficult division that they're in. There's a bunch of AFC teams that are really on the rise right now, like the Chargers. Probably going to make the playoffs. Might more than likely win that division the way things look now. Uh, Baltimore's playing well. The Browns. But, but I like the way But what Cincinnati's doing, and I, th I think they're going to hang. As long as Burrow's healthy, they're going to hang. I think Joe Burrow is going to get killed behind that offensive line. He's taking some big hits. He's being careless. I'm also out on the Bengals. It's a tough division. I think the Ravens look like they're going to be in the playoffs. The Browns are going to be in the playoffs. I think this is a bit too early for the Bengals. I think they're out. Again, I guess if we're going to, I suppose I was looking at it as, are they going to be in it till the end sort of thing? But I don't have them in the playoffs either. The Browns, I will stick with them. A couple of tough losses on the road at AFC West Powers, if you would. Uh, the Chargers and the Chiefs. Chiefs not so much lately, but the Chargers certainly look like a team that's really built for the long haul. So I'm going to stick with the Browns. That running game, uh, Baker will make enough plays to keep them in contention and may still win that division. Uh, Baltimore looks awfully good right now, but uh, I'm going to stick with the Browns being in. You know, I'm sticking with the Browns. They've had their two losses came against the Chiefs and the Chargers in a shootout games. You're right. I mean, Baker can't hang in a shootout game, but you can't give up 47 points to the Chargers. I mean, I talked about, you know, the Browns being a great defense, getting better. I mean, I saw them, what, give up six points against the Bears. Uh, Minnesota was seven points. Obviously, the Chargers are a much better offensive team than the Bears and, and the Vikings combined, but you can't give up 47 points in this league. You can't be in a shootout, but... I'm still sticking with the Browns, and they've got another shootout this week against Arizona. So it's not getting any easier, but I hope they'll uh, they'll come away with a few more stops. Okay, so the next three I have out: Pittsburgh, Las Vegas, and Denver. I know Pittsburgh, you know, won that game against Denver, and they seem to get things you know going in the, in the right direction. But again, I think Denver and Las Vegas were the two biggest pretenders of the season so far. So I'm out on all three of them, and uh, I'm sticking with the Chiefs. They're you know they will get this turned around. Uh, they may not win the division, but I think they make the playoffs. All right, I had Denver in the playoffs. 
but I'm going to be out on them. I just don't understand why they're not running the ball a little bit more. I don't understand why Teddy Bridgewater has to throw the ball so much. He's a game manager. He's a guy that excels on play-action passes. Denver has to commit to the run, especially when I see Javante Williams doing really well. I mean, he's bouncing off defenders. It looks really good. Run the ball, and I think you're going to be fine. Denver's defense is great. I picked them to be in the playoffs, but I think they're out. The two teams that they played back-to-back, they were better teams than the, the soft schedule that they started off with with the first three teams. I'm out on them. I'm out on the Raiders. I don't trust the Steelers, even though last week it was nice to see them getting back to Steelers ball, giving the ball to Najee Harris, running the football, and not having Big Ben throw the football 40, 45 times a game. And you know what, Lou? I'm out on the Chiefs. They're not making the playoffs. Okay. Just, their defense is sorry. I think it's a lot, a lot worse than I even imagined. I said that they were bad. They're really bad. You know, the one thing that, that's really, like, is going to haunt them is Patrick Mahomes is forcing the ball. I mean, he is turning the ball over. If he's going to do that, that defense is not going to cover up for him. He has to be perfect almost every week. And if he's not perfect, this is the outcome that you're going to get. The Chiefs are 2-3. and three? No way, Lou. And it's going to be the same outcome with the 49ers. You're not going to see that Super Bowl, the Chiefs and the 49ers, that you predicted. Well, you never know. You know, we're still we're still early in the season. Oh, you're um, such a homer. I have faith that you're they'll get it figured out. Not that they're come on, look you at know, me. not that they're a, a great team. The games that they've lost, I mean, they've lost to, to very good teams. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, they do still have other good teams on their schedule. I mean, I don't know that anybody's played a, a tougher first five games. Now, granted, they had the the Eagles in there. They're playing a playoff game just about every week. So I have faith just because I've seen this kind of this movie before. They had their issues in 2018 where they, you know, middle of the season, near the end of the season, actually, think kind of the wheels came off. The defense was just as bad. Again, until I see them with like maybe five games left and they're three or four games back, I'm going to stick with them. In the NFC, we've got a host of teams. I don't want to go over every single one. You tell me if you like any of them. We had the football team. We had Philadelphia, Chicago, Minnesota, Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, Seattle, San Francisco. So there's a bunch of teams kind of in that, you know, three and two, two and three area. You know, San Francisco, they just can't stay healthy, right? I mean, if they can, if one of these quarterbacks can stay healthy, I still say going forward, they could still make a run. Uh, Seattle without Russell Wilson. I mean, we'll talk about that in just a second, but wow, that's that's a killer. I don't think Atlanta's really going to, they may be like a, you know, eight and nine team, maybe nine and eight. They could sneak in, but I'm not seeing it. New Orleans, same thing. Carolina, I still like them. I'm with you there. You've kind of opened my eyes. So, you know, Minnesota, too iffy. Chicago, yes, yeah, so they won a couple of games. Not feeling it. Philadelphia, not so much. The football team, I don't know. Maybe if Fitzmagic comes back. But, uh, yeah, I'm not looking too good with my NFC predictions right now. So I'm not going to be a homer. The 49ers are in trouble. I mean, Trey Lance is going to go through some growing pains. Jimmy G can't stay healthy. And I feared this. If this was going to happen, it's going to happen. So I had the 49ers in the playoffs. I have them out right now. The only two teams in the NFC that I'm buying right now are the Panthers because they have a very good defense. They traded for Stephon Gilmore, and he's going to come back on week seven. He's going to help that secondary. I also think that Christian McCaffrey coming back is going to help Sam Darnold. Usually Carolina starts out well in the first half, but without having Christian McCaffrey in the lineup, Sam Darnold kind of reverted back to what he was with the Jets, I mean, forcing the ball. He threw a couple of bad picks out there. I think with McCaffrey being back, Darnold is not going to have that pressure on him. So I'm sticking with the Panthers, and I'm actually buying the Saints right now. I'm not saying they're like going to make the playoffs, but I like what Sean Payton is doing. Like Winston doesn't have to be the guy, but he's throwing touchdowns, and when he's limiting his mistakes, I think when they get Michael Thomas back, it's going to help them. Kamara is playing well. I like that defense. 
Initially, I didn't have the Saints in the playoffs, but I'm warming up to them, Lou. I think they're a lot better than what I imagined them to be in the beginning of the season. But the other teams that you mentioned in the NFC, I'm, I'm out on all of them. Yeah, the Saints, you want to buy them, but it just seems like, the, you know, it's just, you know, one week it looks like, okay, they've got things figured out. Then the next week they lay an egg, and it's just I'm not a lot of consistency there. You know, I hope Jameis kind of finds his way and finds some consistency. But, yeah, in some games he looks like, wow, this is the guy. This is going to be great. No problem. And then, you know, they lay an egg or he starts forcing the ball and they're not making any plays. They really don't have receivers. I mean, Callaway, again, he's finally had a, a decent game, but one was on a Hail Mary. So, I again, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not feeling it with them. Uh, I mentioned Russ's injury. There was a ton of injuries this past week, and there usually are, but wow. There's a laundry list. We won't go through them all, but uh, with Russ being out six to eight weeks, you got to believe that this just sinks the Seahawks in that tough NFC West, you know, unless Geno somehow can pull a rabbit out of his hat, but it's more, I don't know that's so much the offense, but their defense is, is kind of disappointing. So Seattle, this might be their death knell right there with uh, with Russ going out. The bigger question for me is with, with Russ being like so kind of wishy-washy with, with being in Seattle, do you think as this progresses or if this season really spins off the rails that he comes back? I think Russ is gone. This is it. This is his swan song. And I don't think we're going to see Russell Wilson suit up for the Seahawks next season. I think it might be like a power struggle a little bit. I'm not sure that him and Pete Carroll are, are that cool right now. Just throwing it out there. I just think that if the Seahawks implode this year with you know Russ being out, we might not see Russ again. I mean, say say the Seahawks go on like a five or six game losing streak. Knowing that this season is lost, I mean, I would save Russ till next year, but I don't think that he's going to be here next year. I just think he's looking for bigger and better things, and I think he's he's ready to move on from Seattle. And I think the only way that Seattle can keep him is if they cut the cord and fire Pete Carroll. All right. Remember, folks, you heard it here first. So let, let's bring in our second guest. He's a quarterback at Idaho Six foot five, 248 pounds, number five, pride of the Vandals, Mike Beaudry. Mike, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, doing great. Happy to be here. That's cool, very cool. Right off the top, I think we need to let everybody know you're actually Canadian, correct? I am, yep. I was born in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. Been in the United States for quite some time now, though, but uh, you know, I always have some pride in being born there. I guess you spent most of your time uh, growing up in Orlando when she did move, correct? Correct, yeah. I've, I've lived there really since about the fourth grade. All right. So now your first stop was at D2 West Florida. The Argonauts, which I found ironic since, you know, they're, that's the Toronto CFL team. But anyway, right. what was it like? joining a fledgling program i believe it was the second year of existence when you came in and you end up leading them to the division two championship but what was it like you know a program that was just getting going it was really cool it's a, it was a great opportunity so actually i was there the very first year so our inaugural season oh, we okay. couldn't play football so all we did was practice but the second year was the the second season and that was our second season of actually playing which the national championship but it was just a great experience i think the unique thing about having a program like that is that those coaches came in and were able to just set the standards, set the culture, and could just do whatever they wanted. And it's almost like they came in and took over a team that was already existing. But the difference is there was no like pre-existing uh, culture or, or anything like that. It was like you're coming in with a bunch of freshmen and making it how you want to be. And I think that they did a great job. And that's credit to Coach Chinnick. I mean, he is a, a fantastic coach, and um, I love my time being there. What was it like leading the team and, and winning that D2 National Championship, though, in the second year of existence? It was awesome. So it was one of those things where you just couldn't believe that it was actually going to happen. Coming from the, the first season, and, and we did like we did all right, and then the, the second season, just being able to do that was unreal. And I think it was just one of those things where it just clicked and everybody was on the same page. Everyone loved each other. That was a great team culture. You know, eventually it just turned into that we weren't going to lose to anybody. You know, like we just felt great and um, that there was there was nobody that was going to get in our way. And I mean, that's really what happened. Nobody stopped us. 
Mike, I'm sure you had the dream of playing at a Division One school, and I would assume the reason why you transferred to UConn was to just be a part of an FBS program. Uh, tell us about it. Why the Huskies? And tell us about your time at UConn. Yeah, I actually, I was graduating from the University of West Florida. Um, I, I graduated that semester, and I'd always wanted to play Division One, but I, I really just wanted to challenge myself a little more, and I wanted to go and shoot my shot playing Division One football. And I'd always figured that if I couldn't play Division One, then I probably wouldn't be able to make it in the professional leagues. So I just wanted to figure that out right away. You know, I wanted to, to bet on myself and, and give it a shot. And so UConn came up and gave me the opportunity, and I, I was thankful for that. And um, it was nice to be on a program, a bigger program, and kind of see how it operates. You know, I, I'd never seen it before. Obviously, I didn't really have many friends that ever played college football, so I didn't really have a, an experience through them. So it, it was just nice to be able to go do that and, and see it for myself and see the differences and play some good teams and be around a coaching staff that was, you know, that had been in the game. Some of them were in the NFL. And, uh, you know, it was just a great experience to be able to be there. You know, I'm thankful that they gave me the opportunity. Why did you eventually leave UConn? Yeah, so I, I got the starting job when I was there. And um, I ended up uh, hurting my shoulder, banged up a little bit. And um, and then it was just kind of on and off through the rest of the season. And I think it's just one of those things that it probably wasn't the best fit at the time. Uh, I don't think it really worked out. The direction they were heading was kind of a younger direction. I think they had some freshmen that were good players. And um, that just seemed to be the trend. And they told me that. So it was kind of a, a mutual, you know, they respected me, wanted to continue to play. And, and, you know, my goal was obviously to play professional. So it was kind of like a parting of ways and it was fine. There was, you know, no hard feelings or anything. It was just a, you know, respectful decision. You went from Canada to Florida, then to Connecticut, and then you found your way to Idaho. How did the Vandals come into the picture? Yeah, so I entered the the portal probably a couple of days later. Uh, the, our quarterback coach here, Coach uh, Charlie Molnar, and he uh, he hit me up on Twitter. I'd already had a, a good feeling about the state of Idaho because actually the, the year I went to UConn, I went to Idaho just to visit, uh, not the university, but just you know just the state and. I had said, I was like, man, I always, like, I want to live in Idaho. Like, I want a house someday. Like, I want to be there. I guess a year later, I enter the portal, and then the University of Idaho hits me up. You know, almost instantly, I was like, holy crap. Like, yeah, this might, this is probably the sign, you know? I just had great talks with, with Coach Petrino and Coach Molnar, and, you know, I really believe in them and what they do, and they're fantastic coaches. And just being able to be in the program and how they run the offense, I was like, there is nowhere better for me to be right now than here and so um it was an easy decision you mentioned the offense you know this day of age of spread offenses zone read you're not really calling plays in the huddle but you play for paul petrino you know obviously bobby petrino big big influence on him as well pro style attack how much of an advantage do you think that gives you moving forward in your career a huge advantage a huge advantage if i never came here and I could never be in the huddle calling the plays that we call and running the offense and taking snaps from under center like we do. Uh, I don't know how I'd make it. I really don't because the, I know the NFL does that. And just, you know, my first little little bit being here in the offense, my head was spinning. It was just crazy having to call those plays and having to, you know, get some signals and, and take the snaps from under center and then go to gun and, and all these things, you know. And now being here after a while, it's obviously gotten much easier and it's natural for me, but I don't know how, how people do it. I don't know how they go from an offense that's a spread offense or no huddle or you never take a snap from under center and they go translate to the NFL. And I mean, credit to those guys that do it because, that's, you know, it's, it's extremely hard. I think being here has set me up really nicely to be able to transition smoothly into a, a professional program, and I'm thankful for it. I know Coach Petrino runs a, an NFL offense. I mean, a lot of the verbiage, I go on Twitter and I see someone posting, a, you know, a play or a clip from the NFL, and the verbiage is nearly identical. And so I'm like, man, I mean, how cool is that? So speaking of the verbiage, without giving too much away, give us a typical play call. <laughs> I don't know if I can give a real play call, but I don't know if Coach P would be happy with me. I'm Make not really one sure. up, I guess. So, just, but, just an example. You know, <laughs> we won't tell. We certainly well, won't you tell. Go, well, you first, I mean, I can explain it. So first you'd go, you'd be like gun, or you in shotgun, or you under center. Uh, so they give you that, and they give the formation. Then it'd be like a little, they'd tell you a motion. Are you going to do a motion in there? It might be a, a move call. It might be a little switch. Um, and then they can give you the play. But the, the difference is it's not like a one-word play. You know, I've been in offenses where it's like a, a, just a one-word play and everybody knows where to go. But this can be like you have your formation, you have your motion, you have your play. But the difference is you might have a, a, a solid concept, but then you're going to be tagging people with routes. 
So you might end up with like a, you might hit like a Mustang concept, but it might be like Mustang X pin Z Dover or something like that. Right. So like this is at the end of the play. So you have a whole thing where you're giving your formation, your motion, your play, and then tagging people extra and then your protection in there too. So, you know, sometimes when it was your first little bit here, I mean, you start mixing up words and it's your head's just spinning, you know, but uh, the, the more you get into it, the easier it is. And you kind of, you kind of can piece it up into like, okay, well, here's our formation and then the protection and then here's the passing concept, you know. It's just one of those things you have to learn. Absolutely. I mean, you hear, you see it with the rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, and people get upset, I think, sometimes when they're not playing right away. But learning all that, being able to spit it out and understand what it means and explain it to your teammates, that's, that's a whole other ball game. Now, you've pretty much battled or, or fought for everything that you've gotten at each program, you know, to get to get playing time. How do you feel that's made you a better leader and then also a better player. Man, I, I think it's it's been huge for me. I mean, I take I take pride in that that I've been in a battle everywhere I've went, and I mean, I, I think I've, I've won the battle everywhere I went. It's cool to be able to say that because I have played against and played with some really talented guys, you know. And I work my butt off everywhere I go to be the best that I can be, not just for the team, for myself, you know, just just in general. I don't want to go go in there and, and not put in everything I got. I think, especially when you go to the NFL teams, the CFL, wherever you go, I mean, unless you're the guy that's making the, the 10-year, $200 million contract at quarterback, but you're in a competition, you know? And whether you're fighting for the starting job, a second or third string job, I mean, there are people coming in to take your job every single year. And um, everybody's talented at that level. So you have to be able to constantly put in the work, to constantly battle, to face the pressure of adversity and, and battling. And I mean, I've done that every step of the way in my college career. And um, at points, it's been difficult, but I'm extremely thankful for it because it's made me into a, a better football player and a better person. Mike, what do you think are your biggest traits, the best characteristics that you bring to the football field and off the field as well? What are your best traits? Yeah, I think on the field, I bring a you know good arm strength. I think I have a cannon out there. I've been working really hard at it. And I think this year, I've been able to showcase that a lot. And um, I'm happy about that. And I think I can make some good plays with my legs, you know. And I, I feel like sometimes I don't get credit for it, you know. Like everybody talks about how big I am, but I'm like, man, you know, I can move a little bit too. Kind of, I kind of move around in the pocket and do some things and kind of negate some negative plays. So, uh, you know, I take pride in that. I think it's a, it's a big deal that, you know, to, you know, you're about to get sacked and you can make something happen and get back to line of scrimmage or whatever it is, you know. And, um, and then off the field, I think I just bring some leadership. I pride myself in being able to talk to anybody from any background, from you know we could have nothing in common or everything in common I, I love making new friends and i love relating to people and i genuinely care about the people that i'm around and i want to see them succeed you know i, I want to be the same person day in and day out because i think that's what makes a leader being the same person being accountable having people be able to count on you just providing that consistency i think that's huge and um you know i take a lot of pride in being able to do that which nfl player uh, do you look up to who do you try to emulate your game after well, you know, Tom Brady is the classic. I, I think he's he's amazing. You know, he does some amazing things, a lot of amazing things. And uh, he's just one of those guys that is just always on it every single week. And um, actually, Donovan McNabb was the first quarterback that I ever loved. I love Donovan McNabb. I mean, he played for the Eagles. They were my favorite team for a long time. He was a big guy. He could move. He had a cannon of an arm. He had the Campbell's Chunky commercials. Like, he was just the man. I loved that guy. And uh, I think growing up, I was number five. Actually, in like Pop Warner and Little League, I was number five for Donovan McNabb. And then it kind of strayed away a little bit, and then I ended up back at number five. And, you know, I can't help but think that Donovan McNabb played a little role in that one. As you look back on your career, what do you think is your biggest accomplishment that you're most proud of? I would say just playing in every program that I've been to. Again, it's, it's been difficult. There's competition everywhere you go, and I think I've fought through it every single time and been able to play and start games at every single program. And I know... It's not easy because I think every year you see guys transfer and a lot of the times they never touch the field again. Uh, I have to admit, a lot of it probably is out of their control. I mean, I know how it is. It is hard transferring and, and going to a different program. So uh, nothing to take away from those people. But I really, 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 really commit and work hard to being able to do these things and, and go transfer a program and go in and play right away. And um, it takes a lot of sacrifice from my family, from friends, from me. You know, there's a lot of pride into it when I can do that and go in there and and be able to play and then off the field just getting my degrees i mean i'm graduating with my master's degree this semester and um that's something that i i never thought i'd be able to do you know not that 
that I wasn't smart enough or anything like that, but just uh, really having the opportunity, you know, and getting the undergrad degree was kind of a given to go to grad school and, and get a whole master's degree is just, uh, you know, it's still crazy to me. What do you want to do? What do you want to pursue after your football career is over? Well, you know, obviously I want to play for as long as I can, but you know, not everybody's Tom Brady, so we can't all play until we're 45. I want to coach football. I mean, when I'm done, I want to coach. And uh, I love football. I love the game. I love being around people. And I, I just couldn't imagine not being around sports in general, but just football specifically. And um, and maybe it's not even coaching. Maybe it's something to do with uh, with broadcast work. I don't even know. But just uh, just being around the sport, I know I have to be around it. So whatever that takes. Earlier this season, you guys played against Indiana and Oregon State. And what stood out about those two games to you? And how does a Big Ten program compare to a Pac-12 program? Well, I'd say the Big Ten and Pac-12 compare. They're, they're pretty similar. I think I would say that Indiana was probably a little bit bigger just all around. I mean, those guys were physical. They were big. And they played some hard football. I mean, they, they had effort on every single play. And Oregon State was a great team too. I mean, they they did a lot of a lot of good stuff. I mean, they're faster. You know, everyone's a little bit faster, a little bit bigger. Probably what stood out to me the most is that football is football. I mean, you're out there, you're playing, you know, Big Ten Indiana or Pac-12 Oregon State, and you know, it's kind of it's cool to be able to play those guys. You see them on TV all the time, but you know, when you're out there and when you're game planning all week, you're just like, man, like you know, they're the same as everybody else. You know, they might just be a little bit bigger in some areas, but their concepts, their schemes, I mean, they're the the hints they give, their little you know, the, all, all the game plan stuff is all the same. You know, it doesn't matter where you go. Everybody's got their little, you know, their little details that are that are specific to them. But at the end of the day, I mean, everybody plays cover three the same way, you know. It doesn't matter. And so I thought that was pretty cool to be able to see that and then, and then go play against it and actually put it to the test. Now, Mike, we'll step into the future a little bit. And we're not selling you short by any stretch. But just if the NFL doesn't work out at first, okay, how special would it be to go back home to Regina and play for the Rough Riders? Or any CFL team for that matter, but specifically Regina and the Rough Riders. Right, that would be unreal. I mean, that was the first football I ever saw was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I mean, I had no clue what the NFL was, what college football was. Like, all I knew was the CFL and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I mean, those people in Regina are absolutely nuts for the Rough Riders. Just growing up watching them and, and just thinking someday – I would love to play for the Rough Riders, and I would go outside and I'd go throw the football to myself and pretend I'm running for a touchdown, all those things, wearing a Riders jersey, playing with the Riders football. And then now to be so close and to be to be right here thinking about how in, in, in a year from now I could be suiting up for the Rough Riders is just it's a dream, honestly, and it still doesn't feel real in some ways. And, and with that being said, any CFL team would just be so cool. I mean, I've seen them all play multiple times. My family would be ecstatic because, you know, most of my family is still in Canada, and I know how special that would be for them. You know, it would be a dream come true, honestly. I can't even put it into words. It's just crazy. So you've got dual citizenship. You've got Canadian citizenship, and you're also an American citizen. When you first came to this country, to the U.S., when you moved to Florida, what was the biggest difference that you noticed between Canada and the U.S.? It's hard to say. I think they're similar in many ways. It was a little different because I moved to Orlando, so that's a bigger city. So I was a little bit shocked by all the people in, in Disney World, and there's just so much going on all the time. Like there's never a lack of things to do. I think sports-wise, you can't really compare anything to Florida. I mean, you go to Texas or Georgia, but Canada doesn't. You know, it's it's hard to compare. Uh, high school football in Florida is just something different, and even college football, whatever. Just the way that the seriousness that they put into that is is just is nuts and that's something i never experienced before and maybe it's similar to hockey uh, I, I know it's similar to hockey but i didn't really grow up playing hockey so i didn't really know just this amount of people the 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 quality they put in their sports the seriousness that people take it it was just that was a shock to me i mean we never saw that before so i am glad that i did experience it though so now you've done some work outside of your college program what was it like working with Tony Raz, Tony Rassiopi, for our listeners that didn't hear in the past that we've had Tony on the show. He's a quarterback guru, uh, works at Test Football Academy in New Jersey, but you got a chance to go work with him and that group. What was that like? Amazing. Tony is the man, and I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, he has changed me around. He's put the time in with me. He is just the, the best of the best. He cares about you as a person. He cares about how your life is, how you're doing. 
and then he cares about you on the football field, you know, and, and that's something that not a lot of guys do. A lot of the guys are in it for the paycheck. They're in it because they're making some money and maybe they like football, you know, and Tony is completely opposite. He couldn't care about the paycheck. He cares about you. Like he wants you to be the best that you can be. Uh, he'll put in the sacrifice. He'll put in the work for you uh, just to see you succeed. And it doesn't matter if you're a guy, one of the top programs in the country, or if you're playing division three football, I mean, he cares about you the same and he'll show you the same amount of attention day in and day out. And I mean, that's a, that's a leader if I've ever seen one and uh, you can't help but respect him. And then being able to partner with test um, test football is amazing. I mean, my, I spent the summer there I spent about two months this summer uh, with test and training with them. And, and they exceeded my expectations. Like, again, they did the same thing and they, they went out of their way to make sure that I was successful and that I could get everything out of it that I wanted to. They changed me around for this season. I mean, I've, I've never felt better going into a football season than I did this year. And um, I can't help but give them credit for that. I mean, they are, they're unreal and they're the best of the best. And, um, you know, I'm not going to train anywhere else, honestly. They're the best there is. So, Mike, when you say change you around, what specifically did they change? Really just physically. I mean, I, I went to them with the goals uh, this summer that I wanted to lose some weight, that I wanted to build muscle, I wanted to change my body fat. And honestly, I was like, hey, guys, like, I don't know how to do that. You know, I know what I want to do, but, like, I couldn't really tell you how I want to do it or how I can do it or, you know, things like that. And they're like, they're like man, no problem, you know. Like, we got you. Like, we'll show you how to do it. And, and they did. I mean, they gave me the plan. They gave me the workout plan, the what I needed to do. I, I met with a nutritionist. I knew what I needed to eat every single day compared to what I'm doing working out-wise. They are able to develop a schedule with some with some rehab so that I could make sure my body stayed healthy and then also work with, uh, with Tony Rastiopi and, and be able to, you know, work him in the schedule also and, and fit it so it worked nicely. It, it was easy. I just told them what I wanted to do and they just built the program for me and, and were there every step of the way. So it was nice. How much weight did you lose, Mike? I lost about 10 pounds on the scale, but I changed my body fat percentage by about 4%. I built muscle. I put on, I think it was like eight pounds of muscle. Um, and just physically, I looked different, you know, like I looked more of a football player than I did just an, just an average Joe, you know, and, and that always been hard for me. I've always been a bigger guy. I was, you know, when I was a kid, I was a little bit bigger, you know, and, and uh, I want to be able to move around. I want to be able to make some plays with my legs. I want to be able to stay healthy. And I thought that was the best way to do it. You know, that was a big emphasis for me this offseason. This year, I've seen it, you know, tenfold. Like it's been, it's been nuts compared to how I was even in the spring. So kind of nice to see it pay off. I gave you credit for 248 at the top. Is that close to your weight? Yeah, I'm about 240 right now. So okay. I've still tried to keep up with the good eating and, and, you know, of course in season and you're practicing all the time, it's, it's hard to maintain weight. But honestly, for me, like I, I maintain what I have to maintain. And then if I'm losing some other stuff, that's fine with me. So finally, what is Mike, the QB's mom, meant to your football journey? Uh, she's just the best, honestly. I mean, she is my biggest supporter, my biggest fan. Uh, she never misses a game. Uh, she's just always there, you know, and, and I don't care where I go, Mike, the QB's mom will be there. And it's kind of funny because all she's more popular than I am on social media. I mean, my friends love her. They always say, oh, like, look, Mike, the QB's mom liked my tweet or she liked my picture you know, she tweeted about me or something like that, you know, so it's kind of funny to see that with my friends. But I mean, she's been there since the very beginning. She, her and my dad have believed in me since day one. When really, there was nobody else that believed in me, you know, and I only played one year of quarterback in high school and then ended up going to college to play. And I just remember coming home from school sometimes in high school and I, I didn't think that I was ever going to play college football. And I mean, they were the ones that that kept me going and believed in me. And, and, and all the way through my career, there's been doubts, there's been hard times and and they have always been there and i know she is my biggest supporter and so everything i do i mean i'm really i really do it for them and i, I try and make them proud i'm just so thankful that they that my mom is who she is and that she puts in the sacrifice and she works so hard to be able to come to my game and do all those things i hope it doesn't go unrecognized i hope she knows that i, I appreciate it and i think she does uh it means the world to me well that's great mike wanted to give you an opportunity to shout her out so <laughs> jump that for you <laughs> i appreciate it now this is the time of the show we'd let you plug whatever you want so if you want to give your social handles anything else you want to plug Thank you guys for allowing me to come on. Uh, it's really cool. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm very proud of where I'm at in my career, and there's been a lot of people that have helped me get here. And so uh, I'm thankful for everybody. I'm thankful for all the opportunities I've gotten, all the all the hard times, all the good times. It's been a heck of a ride. And so I'm just really excited to see where it continues to go. Again, I'm just so thankful for everybody that's been a part of it and, and all the things that they've done for me. Next couple months are going to be a, a big change in my life, so we'll see what happens. 
I don't know if you wanted me to, to give this out, but the Twitter handle is at underscore Beaudry underscore capital B is in boy, E-A-U-D-R-Y. And of course, Mike's mom is Mike the QB's mom. So hit that one up as well. <laughs> Want to appreciate you to, for coming on. Uh, liked all the candid answers and uh, good luck to you the rest of the way. Mike, we'll be watching. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. So thanks again to quarterback Mike Beaudry. Look forward to seeing him. Well, maybe in the CFL. I think that would be a great story. Just uh, kind of a fairy tale ending. Being in Orlando and being close to the Magic Kingdom. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. Let's go to some more magic here with the picks. Uh, not a lot of magic on my end. Wow. Another 50-50 week. 500, 2-2. Two and two, And it's probably lucky to get 2-2 two and two this week. Uh, so we're 8-10 overall. Uh, lost with Seattle, obviously Russ going out didn't help, but I don't know that they were gonna we're gonna win with them anyway. Dallas was a winner over the Giants, the Chargers. Thank you to the Browns pulling uh, Austin Eckler into the end zone so they can get the ball back. That ends up covering the spread. Very cool. And then uh, the Ravens had to come rushing back, and we've seen this now a few times with with Lamar. You know, for all the talk that, you know, he's not a pocket passer, he's not going to win games with his arm. Boy, it looks like he's been able to do it when he's had to. So uh, what gives, Alex? Is Lamar going to become that pocket passer everybody wants him to be? I don't know, Lou. I mean, he's doing some amazing things out here. The The Ravens know that they've lost, what, two, three, four top running backs on the roster Lamar Jackson is just becoming quite a passer. Wide receivers, defensive players, you know, they're depleted. How good is he to have them in this position with all? What if all they had all those guys? I mean, they trailed 22 to 3 with like three minutes left in the third quarter. I mean, it looked like they were dead in the water. And I realized that Calais Campbell's blocked field goal. If it wasn't for that, the comeback wouldn't have occurred. And then Blankenship missed field goal at the end of regulation. So there are a few things that that went in Ravens' direction. But my God, Lou, I mean, he threw for a franchise record 442 yards. This is the same franchise that had Joe Flacco there through, what, four touchdowns? It was the biggest comeback in, of his career. Andrews and Brown were his favorite targets. You know, the one thing that really stuck out about Lamar is just how comfortable he looks, like, scanning the field and working through those progressions. That's what was most amazing to me. Like, he was really cool and collected and calm under pressure. He wasn't looking at just his first target and then he was just taking off or running for that first down. No, he was going from left to right and finding his secondary, his third target on the play. That's what's, you know, this evolution of Lamar Jackson is is amazing. We're talking about the same guy that won an MVP a couple of years back, but he looks like a pocket quarterback right now. It's truly amazing. I didn't think I was going to see this. Yes, I mean, he certainly is going to put himself back into, you know, MVP consideration. Uh, the thing that I guess maybe eats at me a little bit is it seems like the only time you see this is when they're behind. And that makes sense. I mean, obviously they, they have to throw it. And when it come, turns into a little bit more of a chaotic game, you know, it's not always football at recess or backyard football, but that's typically where he excels. But the big thing I took from it is, one, Mark Andrews stepped up his game, you know, scored a couple times, a couple uh, two-point conversions, or at least one two-point conversion. And Hollywood Brown is really starting to come into his own. He's making plays, not just the, you know, the go routes, but, you know, across the middle, double moves. Now, granted, Indianapolis was down to practice squad players on their defense, their defensive backs and had a lot of injuries, but I don't want to take anything away from that offense. They're able to do some things with him that a lot of teams cannot do, and it should be an interesting game when uh, Herbert and the gang come calling this weekend. You mentioned the kicks. Oh, my God. I mean, we can have a whole segment on 
kickers, but uh, we don't want to bore our fans. Just the fact that it was a record weekend ineptitude by field goal kickers in the NFL. Enough said there. The picks for this week, I'm going all dogs. Uh, you know, anymore, you know, I'd probably be doing better throwing darts. So some, some of these games are really, really going to rub Alex the wrong way, and I love it. First off, I am taking Carolina plus one at home against Minnesota. This one goes completely against all my theories, but the Chargers coming east, playing in the early window at Baltimore. They're getting three points. I'm taking Herbert. I'm buying whatever whatever he's selling. Wherever he plays, I like their chances. This one's really going to rub Alex the wrong way. I'm taking the Patriots plus four at home against Dallas. And then finally, Arizona plus three on the road at Cleveland. You mentioned a shootout. If it goes that way, I'm taking Murray over uh, Mayfield every day of the week, twice on Sunday, specifically this Sunday. So there's your four dogs. Ugly game of the week, New England plus four. I have no good feeling about that at all other than it doesn't make any sense, so I'm going with the dog. Unbelievable. I mean, I was hoping you were going to bounce back this week, but with picks like that, I mean, you're going to go like all in, you know, in eternity, Lou. Four. There's four picks. There's four picks. All right. I'm also going to take the Panthers. I had them like minus one or minus one and a half. I mean, the Panthers are the well, favorites. Depending on where you depending on where you look, that that one's going to fluctuate. So you're going to you've seen, you know, I've seen even, I've seen minus one, I've seen plus one. Uh, if you can get plus one, obviously you do that. But yeah, I mean, we'll make adjustments if they, you know, if it goes the other way, I'll go by whatever the, the line is. I'll take the Panthers at home. I think they're going to bounce back. They lost two straight games. Darnold is, is bound to bounce back. And I think McCaffrey is going to help him with that a little bit. I think he'll be back this week. So I'm taking that defense against the Vikings offense. The Panthers are a good team this year. So I'm, I'm rolling with them. Through the first five weeks, two and two with the push last week with the the Packers and the Bengals. All right, gang, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you very much to our guests. It's time to go, gang. For Alex, I'm Lou. Peace.